Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. just for a moment. Love you, Radiant. I love Radiant Church. I watch you every Monday. Pastor Aaron has turned out to be one of my favorite pastors on the planet. We are blessed to have Pastor Aaron. Amen. And what an amazing worship team. Come on, guys. You guys are kicking it, man. Dude, drummer, I love you, man. You are the, you are the man, dude. We love to have fun here at Radiant, and um, uh, listen, I want, I, want, I want them to do one more special song for me as we get ready. Pastor Aaron delivered a powerful sermon last week on the prodigal son entitled, It's Time to Come Home. Great message. Today, today we're in our second part of the comeback story, and um, to, to set the mood, I'm going to ask them to sing. I know it's Easter, but I want to sing an old I want to sing an old Christmas classic. How many, you'll sing an old Christmas classic with me. It's a very spiritual song. JP's going to come and lead us. We're all going to sing together and have fun together. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. All right. Yeah, look at him. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen. Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. But do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, come on, had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. All of the reindeer used to laugh and call it. I know some of you are thinking, what did I just walk into? But you don't have a clue. Listen, there might be somebody in this service right now who they prayed this morning and said, Lord, if you're real, I want them to sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You just never know, friend. But really, listen, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, is a, it's a timeless classic. It really is. And, and it's really, it's really um, relevant for today. Because really it's a story about shaming and humiliating those who are different. Wow, does that, does that relate to today? But here's the beautiful thing. It's also a story about exalting and honoring among your peers by someone who's in authority. And can I tell you that if we will learn to humble ourselves before the Lord, even in a humiliating culture that we live in, God can exalt you above your peers. Isn't that all good news? Amen. Hallelujah. So, Father, we ask that you would just speak to us this morning. Put us in a position 
of a great comeback for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated this morning. This morning, I simply entitled this message, Positioned for a Comeback. Positioned for a Comeback. I think that all of us could acknowledge that today, public shaming of people has escalated to a toxic level. I mean, every day you hear about somebody else being canceled or, or mocked or, or, or losing their job. And this is a great opportunity for us as the church. Yeah. Are you listening to me? Yeah. It's a great opportunity for us as the church to lead the way in making our nation a beacon of hope for the world once again. It's our opportunity. This, every challenge brings an opportunity with us. But can I tell you, this thing about shaming, it's nothing new. The song we just sang was written 82 years ago. 82 years ago. Read it, uh, Rudolph was written in 1939. This is a, a theme that mankind has dealt with for years. In fact, back in the 1300s, a Franciscan monk was frustrated with students who could not pay attention. And so he created this, which would be known as a dunce hat, right? And familiar with that, right? A, a dunce hat. In fact, many of you know that I was Pastor Aaron's youth pastor. Yeah. And uh, dear Jesus, help me. I, every time I think about it, I, I have to throw one up every time I think about it. But... Uh, <laughs> Talking about ADD, the boy had, had ADD on, on steroids, and, and I, 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 this was his favorite hat. This, I, I, I had one of these just for Aaron, but, but it did not humiliate him a bit. He just made it into a megaphone. That's when we learned the boy could preach. I mean, hang on. But <laughs> all seriousness, aside, all, all joking aside, listen, um, uh, can I tell you that Shaming has always been a part of uh, humanity, which is a sad thing. But instead of shaming, nowadays, instead of just being shamed in front of a, a handful of classmates, now people will be shamed universally all across the Internet. Yeah, yeah. And I want you, to, if you're taking notes this morning, I encourage you to do so. Uh, the, the first thing I want you to understand this morning is that humiliation is a powerful tool that is used to control and manipulate people. Yeah. And can I tell you that we should never manipulate. Yeah. We, we are to motivate. We are to encourage yeah. people. That's but fine. we are never to manipulate them. And, but, but it is a tool of the enemy that is used so many times to manipulate and control people. And all of us, come on, all of us have been humiliated, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember being humiliated numerous times in school. I remember one year I was in, uh, it was a junior high year, and every year at the beginning of the school year, my parents would take me and my sister to the store, and I think it was Kmart, and she, they would buy us all uh, five outfits. I had five brand new pairs of pants and five brand new shirts, one for every day, and I, I just loved that time of the year is when I got my new clothes, and, and I would love to go to school at the beginning of the year because I, lo I looked fairly nice in my new clothes, but but that year, I remember one year in particular, I had a major growth spurt in the fall of the year. And, and by January, my, my pants were about this far. Yeah, they were way up here. And, and all, everybody would say, so where is the flood? Yeah, okay, I found out who you are now. Okay. Yeah, I mean, 
where's the flood? And, and I remember being embarrassed to have to wear those short pants for the rest of the year, but I had to wait till next year to get new pants, right? And I'm sure that that is what inspired the nightmares of going to school in my underwear. Any of you have those? I, I, I had those nightmares of waking up and I was in, going to school in my underwear. I'm sure it was inspired by that. Humiliation is a very powerful thing that can scar you for life. I remember one of my most humiliating moments in ministry. It was actually before I even met your pastor. It was uh, whenever I was a youth pastor at Milton First Assembly. And this was in the late 1980s. And um, uh, I, I loved being with teenagers. And so I was at a different school every day. In fact, I literally was at a different school for lunch. The principals would give me a free lunch just to come and be there because they loved the positive influence I had in the kid's life and, and so forth. And so I would be at all the different schools and having lunch. And, and I, uh, my alma mater, Southeastern Bible College, wanted to do some school assemblies where they toured the city and did school assemblies. And, and so I set up a bunch of assemblies at these schools. Their assembly, though, was a bunch of individual skits on different topics. And, uh, you know, stuff like peer pressure or, you know, drinking or, you know, uh, obeying authority, whatever the case might be. And uh, I, I remember I was sitting in Pace High School's audit, uh, principal's office, Mr. Lay, and he was picking the different topics, and he pointed to one. And I went, eh, Mr. Lay, I don't know that you want to do that one. He pointed to abortion. And I said, I don't know if you want to do that one. I said, that one, I've seen that skit, and it's pretty, it's pretty graphic. I said, it could, it could stir up some trouble. He goes, I don't care. He was a strong Christian man, man of principle. He says, I don't care. He says, too many of our teenagers are, are having sex outside of marriage, and too many of our girls are being taken to the abortion clinic. I want that one. I said, okay, okay. So, Sure enough, the assembly comes along. The kids are enjoying the skits. A lot of them are real funny and so forth, you know. And, and all of a sudden, they do this abortion skit. And as I said earlier, it's graphic. And right in the middle of it, you have an abortion doctor who acts like he's uh, um, given an abortion. He pulls out a bloody mass and throws it in the trash can and, and takes his rubber gloves off and starts counting his $100 bills. And when, when, it when it happened, all of a sudden, a girl over in this corner started weeping, and then another one in the middle. And next thing I knew, about 12 girls were weeping and wailing. Some of them were throwing out, running out of the gymnasium, and all pandemonium broke out. And I thought, oh, dear Jesus, this is not good, right? And, and sure enough, within minutes, phones were, the phones at the high school were being uh, ringing off. This is long before we had cell phones. And... Um, the next thing I knew, I have the newspaper reporters at my house. I have uh, the local news, uh, evening news reporters at my house. And they're all wanting to know what's going on. And, 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 the, and the truth of the matter is they really wanted to even throw Mr. Lay under the bus, the principal. And, and I took all of the heat. I wouldn't let them. I didn't say that he wanted the skit. I said, it's all my fault. I shouldn't have picked that skit. I, I took the high road. I humbled myself, and I took all of the heat. And, um, and I remember reading the newspaper articles, and I still can feel it. And, and um, <clears throat> watching it on the news as they portrayed me as this cruel youth guy who just was so un 
un, uh, insensitive and, and mean and so forth, painting me for everything that I was not. And, uh, and to top all of that, the ACLU had just formed in Pensacola. So guess who got to be their first case? Yeah. They brought a lawsuit against all of the schools and said that if they did not kick me off all the campuses, that they were going to bring a lawsuit against the schools. And the schools don't have extra money to, to, to pay for our lawsuit. And so the principals had no choice. They had to call me into their office one by one. And with tears running down many of their faces, they said, Richard, we love you. You are such a positive influence here. You're, you're so good for our students. Our students love you. But we have no choice. Our hands are tied. Legally, you can't be here. And we're going to have to remove the, the freedom that you have to be here for lunch. And um, I remember going through this scenario three or four times. And I'm now in Milton High School. And Mr. Helms is going through that speech once again. And right in the middle of the speech, he stops and he goes, hold it, wait a minute. Didn't you graduate from college? I go, yes, sir. I have a, I have a bachelor's degree. He said, why don't you start substitute teaching? And, and he said, listen, if you'll start substitute teaching, I won't ask when you're teaching and when you're just on campus. So I, so I talked to my pastor. And he, let me, he let me take every Friday to substitute teach. So now I'm getting paid to do what I was doing before for free. You don't know. Listen, talking about a comeback, I wanted, I wanted so badly to write thank you note to the ACLU, you know what I'm saying? But, but I knew better, you know what I'm saying? But listen, can I tell you that if you will learn how to posture yourself yes. in humility, yes. hello, God can uh, uh, give you a great comeback. In fact, here's what I want you to get in your notes this morning, and that's this. How we respond to humiliation can position us for a great comeback. Isn't that good? See, the key, listen, the key to conquering humiliation is by embracing humility. You cannot humiliate somebody of true humility. I'm convinced that they did not even humiliate my Lord on the cross because he was set like a flint. He was going to do exactly what his father wanted. And he looked beyond the cross, despising its shame to you and to me, saying it is worth every bit of it. Yes. Are you hearing me? When we humble ourselves, we are above reproach. Amen. See, humility. So let me identify for you real quick the difference between humiliation and humility. Okay. Humiliation, in your notes, you can put it down this way. Humiliation is created when I let an external source make me feel inferior, devalued, disrespected, and shamed. It's when I let somebody else's opinion of me affect me. What they say, what they think of me, that's when I feel humiliated. And humiliation thrives among insecure people. See, insecure people care too much about what other people think about them. Hear me? Let me let you in on a secret. Those of you who worry about what other people think about you, let me let you in on a secret. You're not that important. Come on. Very good. They don't think about you. Yeah. They're, they're not at home thinking about you, yeah. okay? Because they're thinking about themselves, yeah. just like you are, okay? <laughs> so chill. Stop it. 
See, in, in, humiliation thrives in this environment of, 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 of inferiority. Wow. See, humility, uh, um, I don't have to win every argument. Yeah. I don't have to be correct all the time. Yeah. I don't have to get the last word in. I don't have to be the best person in the room. Because I've learned that what's really important is that I devote myself to loving Jesus and loving other people. See, insecurity, in your notes, in your, and I'm getting ahead of myself, insecurity, only insecure people tear other people down in order to make themselves feel better. Jot that down. Listen, if you see somebody tearing somebody else down, you can look at them and know instantly they are a very insecure person. Because when you are healthy, when you're secure in who you are in Jesus, can I tell you that you are not tearing people down. You are always lifting them up. But that's, that's humiliation. When somebody out there makes you feel devalued. But let me tell you what humility is. Humility is an internal thing. It's something that comes from within you. And, and humility is created. Humility is created when we choose not to be obsessed with ourselves, but devote ourselves to loving God and other people. It's not about you. It's not about me. I tell my congregation all the time in Michigan, it's not about what I want. It's what he wants. It's what's best for people, right? And humility is, is when you decide I'm not going to let them influence me. I'm not going to be obsessed with myself. I'm going to put my hope and my heart upon God and love and serve him and other people. Now, I'll tell you, even in a crowd like this, I guarantee that there's some of us that's probably in an area of our life where we're struggling in a relationship, in a marriage. It's gone awry. And um, can I tell you the way to heal your marriage It's not by proving that you're right and your spouse is wrong. It's not by blaming them. The way to heal your marriage is by humbling yourself, taking responsibility for the things that you did not do well, and learning to love your spouse unconditionally. Now listen, I know what I'm talking about because seven years into my marriage, my wife and I had gone through a lot. Our daughter was born with Hirschsprung disease. You've heard me tell the story before. And um, the first three years of her life, she spent one-third of it in the hospital. She had nine major surgeries. I mean, most of the time, our exchange was just getting medical reports as we shifted who was staying with my daughter because we never left her alone for 24-7. And and we were... We were depleted. A lot of our energy was going into just having her survive. And then I was a young man, full of fire, wanting to see a generation saved for Jesus. And, and, and I gave all of the rest of my energy toward ministry, which was a mistake because that left my wife with nothing. I didn't abuse her. I just neglected her, which is a form of abuse. And, and I remember about seven years into our marriage, in this environment, we're laying in the bed at night, the lights are out, and I heard my wife's voice say these words, I don't even think I love you anymore. It was the, one of the darkest moments of my life. I got up, I got dressed, and I walked the streets of Milton, Florida, all night long, praying, crying out to God till the sun came up. And I made a resolve that night, I said to the Lord, Lord, 
I don't want a marriage that just survives. I want a marriage that thrives. And I will tell you that for two years, I humbled myself. And I love my wife unconditionally without any strings attached. And you can put any thought pattern to that, and I guarantee you were probably right. But can I tell you that this July, I'll be celebrating my 37th anniversary with one of my best friends. It's the best thing I ever did. And if you're going through a hard time, this is a time for you to humble yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord, before your spouse, before your friend, whatever strained relationship that is, and God can give you a tremendous comeback story. But, but, but listen to me. We, we've got to learn how to humble ourselves. Now, I want, I want to end by looking at what I would call the tale of two disciples. The first one is Judas. We're all familiar with Judas, and I'm saddened to say that whenever you say the name Judas, it automatically conjures up this negative image, uh, you know, a thief, uh, a betrayer. But I just want to remind you that Judas did not start off that way. Yeah. I want to remind you that just like all the other disciples, he left everything yeah. to follow Jesus. Yeah. He surrendered it all. He believed fully in, in the fact that Jesus could be the Messiah. And, and, and I just want to remind, remind you that that nobody starts off wanting to be bad. Yeah. It's something that happens to us if we don't allow our, if we don't deal with the sin issues as they creep up in our life. Wow. Because we find out that, that Judas obviously must have been good with money, and Jesus had a lot of confidence in him. In all honesty, I probably would have put Matthew, who was the tax collector, in front, front for the money, but whatever. <laughs> Jesus is Jesus. I'm not going to argue with him. But... but but, and, and you know that Jesus knew that Judas was a thief. So why did he put him in front of, in, in charge of the money? Can I tell you that sometimes God just wants you to deal with your junk? Are you hearing me? God really wants to deal with your junk. But Judas didn't do that. In fact, in, in John chapter 12, there's this story where a woman came and uh, she, she was so grateful for Jesus forgiving her of a lifestyle of prostitution and despair that she came and she broke an alabaster box full of a very expensive oil on the feet of Jesus. And, and, and John records it this way. It says that whenever she did that, that, that he said that but one, one of his, but one of his disciples, Judas, who was later to betray him, objected and said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Thinking about that. Taking a year's worth of wages and just pouring it out on the feet of Jesus. That's how grateful she was. Aren't you grateful that Jesus forgave you of your sins? He is so good. But Judas rebukes her. But it wasn't because he cared about the poor. It says, but, but one of the, uh, it, it goes on to say, uh, not, it says that he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and a keeper of the money of the bag, and he used to help himself to what was put into it. Wow. So Judas, every once, he just saw another opportunity. He was thinking, man, a whole year's wages. I could easily take some of that and nobody would notice, <laughs> right? He missed an opportunity. But because he did not deal with his sin issue, it hardened his heart over time. In fact, in your notes, I want you to understand, you've got to deal with your sin because sin will harden your heart and distort your thinking. 
You will make excuses for your sinful behavior. Yeah. Well, you don't, God understands. God understands. God, no, 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 let me tell you something. He does understand. You're the one that doesn't understand. If you don't deal with your porn issue, it will mess your, your marriage up. If you, don't, if you don't deal with your greed issue, it will mess your finances up. If you don't deal with your anger issue, it will cause, can, uh, it will cause possibly cancer, but I was going to say cul uh, uh, ulcers, right? I mean, listen, you've got to deal with your sin issues. Judas didn't do that. And we know that Judas eventually betrays Jesus with a kiss of all symbols, a kiss of love. And after he does that, Judas, Judas realizes how horrible what he had done. And, and he realizes uh, that he had betrayed the innocent blood of Jesus. And he runs to the, to the, um, to the religious leaders. And he, and he says, listen, I, I made a mistake. I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. And the religious leaders just mock him. They humiliate him right there in front of everybody. What's that up to us? What's that for us? That's your responsibility. They left him in complete humiliation and hopelessness. And when you are hopeless, you can easily end your life. And that's exactly what Judas did. See, Judas' biggest mistake was not his sin. His biggest mistake was not humbling himself at the feet of Jesus. Because Jesus can forgive anything. I said Jesus can forgive anything. Is that not true? But, but see, listen, here, here was his mistake. Instead of humbling himself at the feet of Jesus, he was humiliated before the religious leaders. And can I tell you that as Christian, anytime somebody comes to us because their lives are broken in sin, can I tell you, it is not our place to add humiliation to them. It's not our place to judge them. It's our place to point them to Jesus where they can find hope and love and forgiveness because there is nothing that Jesus cannot forgive. Amen? Jesus is able to forgive. But, but Judas, because he did not humble himself, he ends up committing suicide. Now, let's go to Peter. Now, talking about humiliation, Peter had a way of humiliating himself all the time. In fact, I would say of Peter, the only time he opened his mouth was to switch feet. I mean, he was constantly putting his foot in his mouth. I mean, I'm, I'm, th I'm thinking about this one time where Jesus is just exhausted. He had been ministering, and, and so he was exhausted. He just wanted to be alone, you know? And so he tells his disciples, he says, hey, guys, I'm going to go pray. I want to be alone by myself. And Pete, Pete, Jim, and John, they probably said, well, we'll come with you. And he goes, no, no, no. I, I said I want to be by myself. And they go, well, we'll come, we'll come, because they are used to being the three that get to go with them, you know? And I can imagine Jesus going, I said, I'm sick and tired of you. I want to go home. I want to go alone. And, and Jesus sends the disciples. You remember the story. He, he sends the disciples in the boat to go across the lake. He said, I'll catch up with you later on. And um, so they go. And while they're out there and Jesus is praying, a storm arises on the lake. And um, Jesus comes walking on the water in the storm. And what you may not know is that fishermen at that time, in that day, believe that if you were in a storm and you saw a ghost, that meant you were about to die. 
So when they saw Jesus walking on the water, they're just assuming he's a ghost. They're petrified. They go, oh, we're all going to die, right? So Peter, he pipes up, and then sometimes I wonder if he even has a brain. He just pipes up, and he just goes, hey, if that's you, Jesus, tell me to come. I mean, what's he thinking? I mean, what is Peter supposed to, I mean, what's Jesus supposed to do in that moment? Seriously, I mean, it's not me. Don't come. I'm going to lie. Now it won't be the spotless lamb of God. I blew it. I mean, come on. What's, what, Jesus has to acknowledge it's him, right? So he goes, okay, Peter, you have no business walking on the water, but okay, come on, buddy. <laughs> right? He humi- completely humiliates himself. I think I, there's another time when Jesus comes to the disciples and, and goes, so, hey, guys, uh, what's everybody saying about me? What, who do they say that I am? What's, what's going on here? And they, go, and they go, oh, well, you know, some of them think you're Jeremiah and some of you think you're, you're John the Baptist, and some of them think you're Elijah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked the most important question that anybody will ever ask you, and that is this, who do you say I am? Because who you say Jesus is is the most important question in your life. I say he's my Lord and my Savior. Amen. He's my best friend. But uh, he says, so what do you say? And, G- and Peter, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, had one of those rare moments when he said something really brilliant. He said, you are the Christ. And Jesus is like, whoa, did that come out of your mouth, dude? Yeah. He goes, whoa, good job. You didn't learn that from man. God told yeah, you that. Yeah. You learned that from heaven, right? Now Peter's, you know, he's like, yeah, I got the answer, boys. Yeah, 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 he's strutting around. And Jesus changes the conversation immediately. And he starts telling them, listen, I'm about to die. They're about to arrest me. They're going to pluck my beard. They're going to, they're going to put, you know, they're going to crucify. They're going to kill me. They're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. And Peter, out of his natural love for his friend, could not handle that kind of talk. He didn't want to acknowledge it. And so out of his flesh, he, he think about the arrogance of this. He takes Jesus to the side to rebuke him. Okay, we're not talking about rebuking your mama, okay? We're not talking about rebuking the president of the United States. We're talking about rebuking Jesus, okay? This is Peter. He's going to straighten Jesus out. Jesus, I need to straighten you out here. This is not going to happen. And Jesus goes, ho, 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 get behind me, Satan. I mean, come on, dude. Getting called Satan by Jesus is pretty low, right? (laughs) Talking about humiliation, Peter was constantly humiliating himself. But probably the greatest humiliation was the night in which Jesus was betrayed. Right before he's betrayed, he he turns to his disciples and he says, listen, guys, they're about to arrest me. They're going to kill me. And you are all going to scatter. And Peter, in his arrogance, overestimating his commitment, says, no way. All these, other, other, all these other chickens will all run, but I'm committed. I love you, Jesus. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will die with you. And Jesus turns to him, and I believe in love, says, Peter, listen, dude, appreciate it, but um, I know you better than you do. And I'm just telling you right now, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me tonight. And Peter goes, no way, no way. You go a couple hours into the night. Jesus is now arrested. He's, they're having a mock trial in the courtyards. And just outside the courtyards is Peter. And he's around a fire pit. And um, he's around that fire pit. And a little girl comes up and goes, aren't you one of his disciples? 
Now listen, we're talking about a little girl. We're not talking about a soldier, okay? A little girl. Aren't you one of his disciples? And he goes, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't know him. I don't know him. A few minutes later, another girl comes. Girl, aren't you one of his disciples? Oh, no, no, I, 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 never, I never knew that man. I never knew that man. And then a third time, someone came to him and said, surely you are one of his disciples. Your speech gives you away. And he began to curse and, and call down the, the curses of God upon him and said, I have never known that man. I, I swear to God, I've never known him. And Luke chapter 22 records a very, very significant moment. It says at that moment, it says that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter then remembered the words of the Lord that before the rooster crows three times, you will disown me. Jesus was right there. And he turned and he looked at Peter. And be honest with you, for decades, I always thought that that look was the look that I, very similar to the one I got from my dad whenever he was disappointed in me. I thought it was a look of disgust, a look of disappointment, a look of frustration. But can I tell you, I don't believe that was what Jesus was doing. I believe Jesus was saying, look at me, Peter. I told you this was going to happen I prepared a way. It's okay. I understand the fear that you're dealing with. I understand, I understand the atmosphere in which we're in. And I know that you love me, Peter. It's okay. I love you, buddy. Hang in there. I believe it was a, lo a look of encouragement. Yeah. A look of I believe in you, even though right now you're at your lowest moment. You go a couple days down the road, John records in John chapter 21, the last chapter of John, records this scenario. Peter now, he's just at the end of his rope. He's, everything he believed in, he doesn't know what's going on. The one that he had left to follow for three years is dead. <clears throat> he, and at the, at the end of his rope, he turns to his buddies, and in verse 3, he says this, Hey guys, I'm going fishing. I'm just going to go back to what I'm familiar with. I'm going to go back to my previous lifestyle. I'm going to go back to what I'm comfortable with. I'm going to go fishing. And the other said, yeah, we'll go with you, Peter. See, Peter was a leader. And, and, and it says again that that night that they caught absolutely nothing. Kind of like deja vu, isn't it? Because if you remember three years earlier, these disciples were out fishing all night long and caught nothing. And all of a sudden, this cat named Jesus shows up on the, on, the, on the shore, and they follow him for those three years. Now it's three years later, and the same scenario is being played out. And Jesus is on the shore, and he goes, hey, guys, have you caught anything? And the moment that he spoke, Peter recognized his voice. They, they pull their net, and they, they catch a bunch of fish. Jesus tells them, you know, the whole scenario. They get to the shore, and Jesus has already prepared a fire and cooking the fish. You know why? I think it was because just a few days earlier, the last memory that G Peter has of Jesus was when Peter was over the fire, smelling the fumes of the hot coals, and he looked and saw the eyes of Jesus loving him. How many of you know that when you smell certain things, they can bring back memories? And Jesus was saying, Peter, I'm about to restore you. 
for three days, you feel like you were a failure. For three days, you felt like that you was the skim of the earth and that there's nothing, no way that I could ever have confidence in you. Peter, I want to ask you a question. And I believe that he reached down and picked up a fish and said to him, Peter, do you love me more than these? See, when he, re- he records that, it doesn't, I don't believe that he was asking him, do you love me more than the rest of the disciples? Because God does not compare our love for him with one another. He said, Peter, do you love me more than this? Will you love me more than what you're familiar with? Will you love me more than your comfort zone? And he had him repeat three times, yes, Lord, you know I love you. One for every denial. Why? Because Jesus was setting him up for a great comeback. And just a couple of days later, come on, just a couple of days later, it's now the day of Pentecost. And who is it that preaches the first sermon? It's the guy who could not even tell a little girl that he knew Jesus. And now he's standing there preaching with the power of the Holy Ghost and 3,000 get saved that day. Come on, church. I'm telling you, Peter understands that the way to overcome humiliation is through humility. And I, I believe that Peter was thinking about this occasion when Jesus restored him, when he penned the words under the anointing of the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter chapter 5, and he said this, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up in due time. I believe that he was thinking about that fire experience. And I'm telling you today, I don't know your story. I don't know your story, and I don't have to know your story. I will tell you this, though. There is nothing that you have done that God cannot forgive. There is nothing. You are not in such a bad situation, even in your marriage or in a relationship or at work or whatever, that God cannot restore. If you will humble yourself before the Lord and trust him to restore you. Can you say amen? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you are a God of second chances. You are a God that loves to restore. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that work right now. Before we leave, I want to ask you two questions. The first one's this. There's an area of your life that you need God to restore. There's an area of your life that because of bad decisions, because of uh, mistakes, sin in your life, that you've made some bad mistakes and you say, you know what? I need God to enter. I need to humble myself and just acknowledge I messed it up. And I need God to come and to heal. I need God in, to come into that situation and heal me. If that's you, I just want you to throw your hand up real high. I just want to pray for you real quick. God bless you. Just humble yourself right now. Say, Lord, I, I invite you into that situation right now. Father, in Jesus' name. We acknowledge that we have blown it in some areas, that we have some, some major issues that we need your help with. And we ask, Lord, that you would, we humble ourselves and ask that you would give us that great comeback for your glory and for your honor. You may put your hands down. You're here today. Before I turn it over to Pastor Aaron, you're here today. You're away from the Lord. Maybe you knew him at one time. And maybe because of situations, circumstances, hurts, disappointments, you drifted away from him. And today you go, man, I just can't go keep going this way. I don't want to find myself in complete despair. 
I need to humble myself and ask God to once again forgive me and cleanse me. Or maybe you're here today or you're watching and you say, my life's messed up. Lord, would you help me? Can I tell you, I promise you that if you call upon the name of the Lord, he will always be near. You're here today and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not going to humiliate you. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I do want to pray for you. You're here and you're away from God. And you say, I, I, I need God in my life. I need to ask Jesus into my heart. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up real high all over the building? God bless. Oh, yes, several hands already. Wow, wow, several hands all over the building. Matter of fact, why don't you throw the other one up like a sign of surrender? Could we do that all over this building? Father, in Jesus' name, we just surrender to you. We acknowledge, Lord, that we need you in our life. We acknowledge that you are Lord and Savior of all. We ask, Lord, we humbly acknowledge our sin and ask that you forgive us. Come into our life, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' wonderful name, everybody said amen. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com.